Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. Uh, maybe some of you identify with this phenomenon, and that is there are certain circumstances where we find ourselves more challenged to produce words and produce coherent ideas than others. I sometimes experience it based on whom I'm talking to. There are certain people in whose presence I literally feel a greater fluency in expression, a greater ability to say what I want to say, and there are some people in whose presence I feel blocked, uh, clogged, as if something about the dynamic between me and that person makes it more challenging for me to say the words that are in my head. Sometimes it has to do with people in whose presence I feel safe and accepted versus those in whose presence I'm not sure but my, my standing. Sometimes it's a question of not someone else but your own mood. One of the personal indications I have for myself on a meta level as to what mood I'm in is related to how fluidly I can create words. I'm not talking about a clinical depression, but we always go up and down in our mood. Sometimes we're high and soaring and feeling good, and sometimes we're just in a lower place. One of the indicators that I'm in a lower place, which gratefully doesn't last very long, is that I don't have the normal ability, or my normal ability, for the words to come out with the fluidity and the fluency that I'm used to. And of course, there are um, physiological and medical conditions that impact a person's ability to say what is on his or her mind. I also find that sometimes happening in prayer. The great paradox of prayer that you all live and sometimes think about is, of course, going back to the Mishnah, prayer is either A, saying all the words in front of you, getting to the end, getting to the Oseh Shalom, that's prayer, or prayer is your opening your mouth and speaking to the Holy One and going beyond a realm of just a rote ritual. Ideally, at least in the conservative movement, the way we think about it, but I think all movements would agree on some level, we want a fusion. We want a prayer experience that has us saying the words that are in front of us and have been passed down by generations, and we want to have completed the prayer experience thinking that we had a moment of fluid expression to the Holy One. In that way, the Siddur can be a gift because if you're standing up to pray and you can't even fathom what it means to say your own prayer to God, just follow the Hansel and Gretel breadcrumbs to the end of the Amidah and you're there. And sometimes the Siddur is its own obstacle because we feel an obligation to finish. We feel an obligation to cut the words with our mouths, and then we may wonder when the prayer is over, have we even prayed? So keep those ideas in mind as we jump into Parshat Ve'erchanan, because we're going to get back to this notion of what it means to be in a mode where prayer is fluid and prayer is happening. Uh, and if you're following from home, hopefully the, the text sheet uh, we were able to download, which came in yesterday's, the second Shabbat bulletin that went out. So, we start with the first line of the Parsha. For some reason, um, it, was, it came out with some odd spacing in the Hebrew, but uh, hopefully you'll be able to see it. The Parsha begins with, Va'et Hanan el Adonai. Moses, in a reminiscence, reminder that the book of Deuteronomy is almost entirely old material. 
This is not happening in real time. Moses is reminiscing about when he stood before God, Lahit Chanein, to plead, to, pr- to ask, on that very day, in order to say something. What was the content he wanted to say? He was pleading and requesting with God to let him into the land of Israel, even though he had been punished because of hitting the rock, to not be allowed into Israel. And already I've given several Dervei Torah during the week in several, uh, several different settings, including in today's Taste of Torah, that try to figure out what the word Ve'erchanan actually means. Uh, Rashi reads it against the grain, or at least against what seems obvious in the root, because the way the verb Ve'erchanan is built suggests that the root is Chet Nun Nun Lichanen, to grant Right, Chonein Hadad is God granting us wisdom. We say that in the Amidah. So Va'et Chanan seems to be the reflexive version of that to, to ask for someone to grant you something, to plead. But Rashi says it's not Chanan, it's something else. On Va'et Chanan he says, Ein Chinun. There's no um, usage of the word Chinun, Bechomakom, in any place in the Torah. Ela Lashon Matnat Chinam. He's playing a game here saying, I know it looks like Hanan, it's actually Chinam with a Mem. And what is Chinam? Chinam is free or without reason or without merit. As in the phrase Sinat Chinam that we just spent time thinking about on Tisha B'Av, a hatred that has no reason for it. So he says what God is, what, what Moses is saying here is not a plea for God's, um, for, for, to get something specific from God that Moshe has earned, it's from Chinam, t- to get something for free. Even though righteous people such as Moshe have every ability in the world to say, I'm asking you for something, and the reason why I'm asking you for it is because I feel like I've earned it. I'm a righteous person. That's not how righteous people act. That's not modest enough for a righteous person. When a righteous person stands in front of God, you don't display your credentials. You don't say, look how much I've earned this God. You simply try to react or be in relationship to God's flowing beneficence and say, God, if you will it, I will accept it. But I'm not going to plead my case. Davar acher, another way of reading it, Another way of reading it is that what's happening here is not Moses asking for something specific, but rather Moses is in the most elemental way praying. What's interesting about Rashi's formulation here, he seems to be creating a, um, a dissonance between asking for something and prayer. Why is it interesting? Because so many of our prayers seem to be us asking for something. Give me wisdom. Give me healing. Give me a good season. Give me rest. Rashi is saying it's either Moshe asking for something or it is prayer as if to say that the essence of prayer is not making a request of God. Other people read the Va'ed Hanan as suggesting that Moses was indeed standing in front of God saying, here are my merits, God, here's what I've earned. As a result of that, please, come on, let me in the land of Israel. Both of those approaches suggest Moses, or at least the first of Rashi's approaches and other approaches, suggest Moses standing for God, lacking something, Wanting something and asking of it, asking God of it. Okay, turn to the next page for an entirely different way of reading what was happening in this moment. This is a commentary by Rav Pinchas Halevi Horowitz, lived in the 18th and 19th century, first in Galicia, which I think is actually where he lived, was actually now the country of Ukraine and Germany. 
Let's understand this phrase, that I pleaded to God, the way the sages, our sages of blessed memory, said, said about the topic on page 4 of Masechet Brachot. And now he's quoting from the Talmud. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan, one of the great sages from the land of Israel, said, Batchila, in the beginning, what beginning? Bahatchalat Tfilat Shmona Esrei, when we begin the prayer of the Shmona Esrei, and just to break down that term, Shmona Esrei means 18, it refers to the 18 original blessings that were part of the weekday Amidah, a 19th was added in at some point, so we no longer say a Shmona Esrei, we say a Cha Esrei, but no one calls it that, and in rabbinic nomenclature, the word Shmona Esrei refers to any Amidah, including, for instance, Amidah and Shabbat, where there are not 18 or 19 blessings, but 7. So, it's just become a term for the Amidah. So, we begin the Amidah by saying, Adonai Sfatai Tiftach Ufi Yagid Tilatecha. God, open up my lips, that my mouth, Ufi Yagid, will recite Tehilatecha your praise. Depending on how and where you learned how to daven, this is also the moment where we begin our Amidah with choreography, right? There are six words in that phrase. Three steps back and three steps forward. Adonai Sfatai Tiftach Ufi Yagiti Latecha. Another Jewish choreographic moment that has become so rote. When was the last time? You don't have to answer out loud, but answer inside yourself. You use those six words and those six steps to try to transform yourself into a person who's more ready to pray than beforehand. Every once in a while, I remember to. And it helps. We say those six words. And this was related to something that Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, another rabbi, said uh, farther along in Masachet Brachot. This is what he said. If I am aware that my prayer is flowing well, which does not necessarily mean that I'm pronouncing well, but there, there, there's a sense of, of movement, of momentum, of aliveness, of vitality to my prayer. That's how I know. That's how I know that it's being received. Now, he's making a pretty strong theological comment here, as if he can actually tell when that is God, God is receiving his prayers based on how easy it is for him to pray. But I identify with it. Because in the context that I mentioned before, I know that I'm saying something of meaning and of worth and has more of a chance of being received by the other person if it's coming out fluidly. And if I'm stumbling or I'm tripping or I'm pausing too much, I'm aware I'm not communicating myself in the right way and that makes me nervous that it's not being accepted by the other person. For him, this is about him and God. I think it also happens between us and other people. Vezohu, and this is this rabbi's commentary on Be'ed Chanan. That's what's happening Be'ed Chanan el Adonai when Moses said, I pleaded to God. But in the beginning, Lemor. The word Lemor is at the end of the verse. So if you go back to the verse, Be'ed Chanan el Adonai Be'et Hahi Lemor, I prayed to God at that time saying, we normally translate that as a gerund, saying. He's translating it as an infinitive. I prayed to God what did I pray to God to do? Lay more, just for the ability to speak. This is a very different read than Rashi's and other commentaries. The only thing, according to Rabbi Horowitz, Moshe was asking God for help to do was to pray itself. Pray as the ends, not the means. Pray as its own spiritual experience, not in order to gain A, B, C, D, E, R, F. This read has Moshe 
reminiscing, not that he was standing in front of God and saying, please, please, God, let me to the land of Israel. But rather standing before God saying, God, will you help me just get to a place where prayer is real, where prayer is happening? It's obviously anachronistic, but lead into it, right? We don't really have this notion, even in the text itself, of Moses davening, right? The rabbis like to read back onto certain uh, Torah texts and say, you know, uh, Yitzchak was davening uh, Mariv when Rivka met him. But if we just follow the text itself, this is not Moshe, you know, davening Shachrit, Mincha, or Musaf, but this is Moshe simply asking to be in a relationship with God where prayer will flow. The only thing I asked is that I'm able to speak in your presence. That God will open up my lips. I wonder what our prayer would be like today, tomorrow, whenever we pray. If we prayed the way this interpretation imagines Moshe prayed, even if the words seem to be words of requests, Maybe that's just supposed to anchor us in a place so that we don't go far afield. But our only aspiration in the prayer that we do and that we're about to do in Musaf, our only aspiration is to be able to be in a moment of prayer. Not that that moment of prayer bring us something specific. What's fascinating to me about this read of Moshe, of his requesting of God, that God help him pray to God, is Moshe's history with speech. Moshe's history with speech is really an interesting one. We all know from the text and from the Midrashic explanations that Moshe struggled to speak. To speak. In fact, at the uh, burning bush, look at the next source, 4th chapter, Shemot, verse 10. You know these words in Hebrew or in English or both. Vayomer Moshe el Moses said to God, this is after God had given him several opportunities uh, or has explained to him several times what the task was in front of him. Be Adonai, please God, lo ish dvarim anochi. I am not a man of dvarim, of words. I'm not comfortable speaking. Gamitmo gamishoshom. Neither yesterday nor the day before yesterday, which is understood to mean either going backwards in time, gam nor even now in this moment that you're speaking to me, ki peh. My mouth is heavy, I can't get the words out. My tongue is awkward in my mouth. I just can't produce. That's how I am. Is Moshe there speaking about a physiological impediment? Is this a stutter? Is this that his tongue was too big for his mouth? Or is it this how he experienced his body? His body was actually fine, but there was some kind of psycho-emotional blockage that prevented him from producing speech the way he wanted to. And of course, what's radically wonderful about Moshe identifying himself in that way and the way the Torah goes on is that Moshe becomes our most renowned and fluid and oft-quoted speaker in all of Jewish and Israelite history. Turn the page. It's beautiful one-line Midrash from Midrash Tadchuma. Hapesh Amar. The very same mouth that said, quote, Lo isht varim anochi. I am not a man of darim, a man of words. Amar said, Elahadvarim, the book of Deuteronomy. Let me just break that down for you in case the illusions are not clear. Moshe starts off saying, Dvarim, words are not mine. I don't have access to them. And then he writes the book of Dvarim. He is the main speaker. 93%. I made that number up, but it's a high number. 93% ish 
of the entire fifth book of the Torah is Moses engaged in the activity that he said in his first encounter with God he was not able to do. What did he overcome? How did he get to a place where dvarim came out of his mouth easily? Was it just self-confidence? Or is Rabbi Horowitz correct that when Moses was pleading before God, he was not pleading to enter the land, he was just pleading for the ability to speak, to say, to be in relationship with something beyond himself. I think there's a lot for us to ponder in this one approach to Moshe's stance. And it might be helpful to us in our own prayer journey, which I hope all of you consider yourself to be on in some active way, right? I hope that even if the primary reason you're here this morning in person or on Zoom is for community, or the primary reason you're here is for Cholent, or the primary reason for here is just because rhythm, I hope there's at least a piece of every single one of you who says, I'm here sitting in this chair today because I'm on a prayer journey, and my prayer is not yet what it could be, and I'm dissatisfied. That's a very sacred dissatisfaction. By the way, guilty as charged. I am on a prayer journey. I am not yet the prayer, as a one describing prayer, someone who I pray, that I'd like to be. There are moments where I soar. There are moments where it's broken and, and, um, and not filled with any vitality. And so I'm constantly looking for sources of wisdom from our text and from elsewhere to open up my own mouth so that when I speak to God, the speech itself, the prayer itself is what has merit. Not even the content of the words, but the experience of being at prayer is its own end. This is where, one of the places where I believe Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel is the most helpful in translating to us things which are in the realm of the esoteric and the mystery into pathways that can help us on our own journey. So we have four different quotes here from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel on prayer, four of a hundred that I could have used. Each one of them is saying something slightly different but I believe whether or not he knew of this commentary from Rabbi Horowitz is connected to the way, the other way of imagining Moshe at prayer, not demanding something, but just asking for the ability to breathe in a prayer moment itself. By the way, I'm, the reason why I'm not asking people to speak and I'm calling on you is because I, I have learned from people who are watching on Zoom and on live stream that it, it's just, it's, it's hard because you all don't have a microphone in front of you. Um, I know in Beitano services, normally there's a lot of interaction. I want there to be, but I'm also sensitive to how we do this in hybrid. But if there's something you want to say, please raise, your hand, please raise your hand. Prayer is a rival at the border. Just that sentence is fabulous. We think of prayer sometimes as getting somewhere specific and getting something out of it. According to Heschel, if you've arrived at that liminal place between normal human uh, behavior and comportment to something which is hovering on a relationship with the divine, you've done it. The dominion is thine. Meaning, God, I'm standing at the border. I've reached the edge of the area of reality that is yours. Take away from me all that, that may not enter thy realm. He's talking there about uh, concepts and stances, not people. Meaning, the only thing I want to do when I stand for prayer and Musaf in a few minutes, independent of the words coming out of my mouth, is to rid myself of the things that get in the way of me praying versus not praying. 
I want to reinforce one more time. That is a very different understanding of prayer than prayer to get something. Prayer is just to arrive somewhere. Whether you're davening on Shabbat or Rosh Hashanah or Tuesday morning, prayer is simply to arrive at God's boundary. Same basic uh, page in Man's Quest for God. We do not refuse to pray. Rather, we abstain from it. That's an interesting distinction. It's not that we, I mean, some of us refuse to pray. But he's saying the problem with prayer is not the refusal. You're saying, no, I'm not going to pray today. It's that I do stand for prayer, but I still abstain. I am standing for the Amidah, but still somehow I'm not engaging in the experience. We ring the hollow bell of selfishness rather than absorb the stillness that surrounds the world. My translation from one English to another, we stand in prayer thinking that our obligation and our duty and what's best for us is to ask for something rather than simply be present in a divine stillness. And sometimes the Sidur is the problem because the Sidur seems to suggest that we're supposed to be asking for things, not according to Heschel. Futile self-indulgence brings, out, brings us out of tune with the gentle song of nature's writing, as if to say prayer is not about me indulging, gaining, growing, but simply to be alert to the world around us of mankind striving for salvation. We dwell on the edge of mystery and we ignore it. That is a heck of a critique. Wasting our souls, risking our stake in God. You're going to have an opportunity in about seven minutes to figure out whether this prayer experience is you standing on the edge, peering into something that might be possible and just not going there, or simply allowing God's presence to to fill you. Yossi, your hand is up. I'll, and for those that are watching on Zoom, I'll try to paraphrase what Yossi says. Yossi has a question. So Yossi is asking a question that goes directly to this topic. Is there a specific way of praying? Is it only what the Siddur says, or can I make my own prayer? That's a 2,000-year-old machloket. Back in, the, in Mishnah Brachot, where one of the rabbis in the Mishnah says, what is prayer? Finishing the Amidah. And the rabbi says, what is prayer? Your own personal supplications. And I would like to say that it's a combination thereof. I do believe, obviously I do believe, that the Siddur is meaningful and important. And I do try to have the Siddur be my guide as I pray. But I also try to get into a mode, like floating above the words or pausing from the words and saying, my goal here is not for my mouth to articulate syllables. My goal is to have an experience that is entirely different than having a conversation with someone that I know and love or talking or engaging or being transactional. So it's some combination of... And Heschel, too. Heschel is a very traditional Jew. I'm sure every morning Heschel got up, put on tefillin, and said the Shemona Esrei. But I like to think that Heschel was trying, while he was saying the Amidah, to almost be beyond the words that he felt halachically obligated to say. Look at the next quote. The idea of prayer may seem to be the assumption of man's ability to accost God. I love that word, accost. Right? Accosting God is sort of the normal way we understand by Hanan. Moshe stood in front of God and said, Hey, I need something from you. Pestering God. That's how some people think of prayer. To lay our hopes, sorrows, and wishes before Him. I'm sure you've thought of prayer about that in the past. That's my job, to stand before God, to imagine God is here, and say, this is what I need right now. And I, by the way, I left the language gendered because I don't want to change Heschel's language, but obviously we think of God uh, not only in a gendered way. But this assumption is a paraphrase. 
rather than a precise expression of what we believe, we do not feel that we possess a magic power of speaking to the infinite as if we'll somehow unlock God's storehouse and get that thing that we wanted. We merely witness the wonder of prayer, the wonder of man's addressing himself to the eternal. Can you think of prayer that way? That if you have gotten to a place of witnessing something wondrous, that is prayer and there's no higher version of it. Contact with him is not our achievement. It's a gift coming down to us from on high like a meteor rather than rising up like a rocket. If you get to that place, which often does not last, that does not bring you to a pat on the back. Wow, I did it. No. I just positioned myself so that the divine flow somehow reached me and enveloped me. Before the words of prayer come to the lips, the mind must believe in God's willingness to draw near to us and in our ability to clear the path for his approach. I'm going to say that in, in different words. Heschel would say that the Amidah that you're about to say, do not even pretend to say it if you don't have some faith that in the experience of prayer, you're going to touch something otherworldly. This is not a theological test. Right? This is not whether you're, you know, you're, you're theologically well or unwell. But it's a waste of human moments to stand at prayer and not assume that there's some chance that you're going to experience something transcendent. Such belief is the idea that leads us towards prayer. That's the only pathway, according to Heschel, to get into prayer. And finally, my favorite one-line quote from uh, Rashi on prayer. The issue of prayer is not prayer. The issue of prayer is God. That seems inscrutable. The issue of prayer is not prayer. The issue of prayer is God. Can anyone try to put that into non-Heschelian language? How could it be the issue of prayer is not prayer? Joey? So what Joey said is that God gives us the ability to pray to God. And so therefore, the, the, the prayer is both the thing I'm getting to that moment and might come on the other side of it, but it's all about a contact with the Holy One. Anyone else? The issue of prayer is not prayer. The issue of prayer is God. Larry? Great. So Larry said two things. One, Hesh might be saying that prayer is a catalyst, a means for us to get closer to the Holy One, as if the, the goal is not prayer but God. And also that prayer sometimes confuses us because it's as if it's a question of right or wrong, right? And if you focus on the right or the wrong way to pray, you've forgotten that actually what it's really about is a commune with the Holy One. Now, I want to say something important, because if you're reading this and you're thinking, but I don't know what I believe about God. I don't know where I stand. I don't know what my theology is. Right? I'm an observant, traditional, active Jew, and sometimes I feel like an agnostic. Right? Does that mean that I can't do what Heschel's asking me to do? Well, raise your hand if you're somewhat agnostic. Right? Raise your hand if you haven't had a bolt of lightning clarifying for you all the mysteries of the divine. We are all, whether we like to admit it to ourselves or other people, healthily agnostic. If we weren't, we'd probably be living a more absolutist life. We do wonder. We don't know. So how do we make sense of this line if the word God is sometimes itself an obstacle? I think what Heschel might say is the God that you're not sure you believe in is not the God that Heschel is invoking here. The God that you're not sure you believe in is not the God who... Uh, fashioned the world with God's hands, who spoke directly to Moshe, who think of the kindergarten image, who sits on a throne bestowing gifts or not. That's not the God that you should be invoking here. 
the God that you're invoking in this line is the human jumping away from a purely human realm into something that is beyond human comprehension and you only realize that you were in that moment when it's over to throw Heschel and Buber against one another. You only realize that you were in an I-thou moment where you, you had a personal connection to something beyond you. The moment you realize that you're in it, it's over because you've broken that trance. This, is, this, this conversation might uh, turn into a longer series, a longer um, class uh, series at the synagogue because some people have been asking me for us to do a slower uh, inquiry into what prayer is because we do a lot of praying in our community. Right? Particularly people who come to Daily Minion or are regular on Shabbat, you are spending a lot of hours of your life in prayer. And we're heading into a season in which we're going to spend a lot of hours together in prayer. Therefore, it behooves us at least every once in a while for us to ask ourselves, what is it that we're doing in those moments? Why are our feet together? What does it mean to read ancient words that rabbinic men wrote 2,000 years ago? Is that all that there is? Or is there something even before that that is higher and more noble? And that is simply departing from the realm of human interaction, arriving at the border of something beyond us, and considering that arrival to be its own triumph. In a few minutes, like in 60 seconds, we're going to be at prayer again. I do want you to look at the words. I do want you to feel a certain reverence for what's been transmitted down to us. I do want you to imagine yourself as having the same ability that Moshe had to speak to God and get responses. But I'm afraid if that's all that you're doing in prayer, you're going to leave either bored or disappointed. So mostly, at least for this prayer experience we're about to have, I want you to imagine Moshe in the realm that we've been discussing today, not asking God for rest, not asking God for bounty, not asking God for healing, not asking God to take care of your family, but simply asking God to give you the power to approach prayer as its own end. Maybe that will happen, maybe it will not, but aspiring to it may be the highest form of a prayerful experience. Michael, last comment. Thank you, Michael. For those who are not here in person, uh, Michael just made a public commitment to come to Daily Minion every day for the next year, which I, I, just, I just think that's incredible, Michael. Good, good for you. Good for you. Uh, what Michael actually said is that uh, our dear uh, Rabbi Dr. Avi Havivi every Tuesday morning teaches a 10 or 15-minute uh, Sidur class right after Daily Minion. It's all available on the podcast. And Michael says there's an episode about a year ago, you said? Yeah. So, where uh, Avi talks about the specific kavanah, the specific intent that he has just during the first paragraph of the Amidah, and what Michael says is worth listening to and worth growing from. So we'll, we'll end it here only because we want services to end at some point, not because the conversation is over. And here we are, faced with yet another opportunity to ask God just for the ability to pray itself. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.